Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, your name is Ray. And your name is Gage. And you are listening to Gore Report, a true crime podcast. Yes. And if you're new here, welcome. Welcome. We are totally glad to have you. And we hope that you're having a good day and And a a good good week. week. And and a a good life. We always hope that you're having a good life. And and we will never wish anything less. Right? Because we love you. As long as you consent to it, of course. Because consent is important. And if you're tired of hearing us say that consent is important, well, too damn bad. Because it is important, and we will continue to say it. (laughs) And of course, guys, if you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review or a rating. It definitely helps support the show. It definitely does, and we really appreciate it. And we are so glad to bring you the gore. Yes. <laughs> all of the gore. All, all of, of the, the spook. All of the scary stuff. Right. The spookery is afoot. So I also want to make a note, too, uh, for you guys. We now have an email that you can contact us at. That email is goreportpod at gmail. We just wanted to go ahead and make that for any of you that may want to send us an email with, like, you know, case request or anything of that nature. Or even your own stories. Yes, that would be really cool if we reached a point to where people were sending in, like, scary stories or if we have themed episodes that we want you guys to participate in, then this email will be for that. Of course, if you want to contact us through our social media platforms, you can still do that. We will announce all of that at the end. You know the drill. But this email is now an extra option if you would like to contact us. So or yeah, you can just write us a letter. Or any of the above. We don't mind either way. But again, that email is goreportpod at gmail. So it's been two weeks since you guys heard from us. And we're very sorry. Yeah, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. It definitely was. Um, We had several tornadoes that touched down here in Georgia in different areas. And even one of them was on the ground for like an hour and a half. We are not used to tornado weather. Not at all. there is only ever, like the biggest tornado that Georgia ever saw was an F5 in Ringgold. And that was so long ago. Right. And the tornado that came through your neighborhood yeah. Was an F4. Yeah, literally. It was scary as fuck. <laughs> it's like you said, living here in Georgia and growing up in Georgia, we're not used to tornado weather. 
like I grew up personally, you know, we get bad thunderstorms and you'll see tornado warning, tornado warning, but nothing ever actually happens. Right. So I honestly didn't really take it seriously at first. <laughs> um, it's this really long story of unfortunate realizations for me um, <laughs> of what was happening. But yeah, I just I totally was unprepared for it. And then when it hit. It was just fucking scary. Like, my whole neighborhood was completely torn apart. There were cars thrown through people's houses. All of the telephone lines and power lines got ripped up. All of the trees, like, in our yards got ripped up. It's just, it's awful. So, you know, our power obviously went out, too, and I had no way to grab recording equipment. I had no way to do anything except get my ass out of there, so... If right. you're wondering why we haven't been here the past two weeks, that's why um, it's been a lot of recovery since then. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that tornado went from Griffin to Locust Grove in like 15 minutes or less. Yeah. Because it was just moving. And when I came down to pick you up, to bring you up to my house, the area was so decimated. You know, and of course I get down there and it, everything is pitch black. And... I felt like I was in a movie set at first because there was so much debris that I had to navigate my car through. And it was just not good, scary and insane. But of course, we are glad that you were safe. Yes, I'm very thankful to be safe. And luckily, uh, my house wasn't one of the ones that had like trees or cars thrown through it. So our house is still standing and. As of now, power's back on. And, you know, we're recovering slowly, but I am very thankful to be safe. I'm very thankful that we didn't sustain more damage than what other people did. Because, like, it's bad. It the was bad. The part that kills me is, like, okay, so Gage has four garbage cans. <laughs> or at least he had four garbage cans. Had four in the past tense. And then this tornado stole two of them. <laughs> <laughs> it damn sure did. And I didn't even notice that. I did not even notice that until I showed you the picture of the side of my house in the daytime. And you were like, where the fuck are your other two trash cans? And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, you're right. It was on some Wizard of Oz type shit. <laughs> Truly, it was. Roof shingles everywhere, just missing trash cans. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was, again, on some Wizard of Oz type shit. I'm not here for it. Um that first few days after it happened, like trying to sleep in your room with the fan on or anything like that, <laughs> it just made me really fucking nervous. Like <laughs> any little slight breeze just makes a bitch nervous, you know? But aside from all of that, again, we're very thankful that we're safe. We are okay. And honestly, I'm just happy to be back. Right. It's felt like forever since we've done this. So I'm just like, I'm pumped up and ready to go. Oh, yeah. One last announcement, speaking on the tornado stuff. If you guys are new or if you don't follow our Facebook or our Instagram pages, whenever things come up with me and Ray, like whenever we need to update you guys that we will or won't be uploading for a week, or, you know, just if anything happens, if you follow our Instagram or our Facebook, that's mainly where we post those updates. So if you would like to stay up to date with us um, in the event, I fucking hope not, that something like this happens again, 
those are definitely the places to follow us so you can stay up to date with all of that. So Yeah, because we were very worried about getting the message out to you guys about, like, look, this is what's going on. It was definitely a lot because Gage and my cousin both live in Griffin, and they were both over here at my house for quite a while. So Yeah, straight up. It was, it was not fun. It was not fun. You but can we made the most of it. You know, we made it fun. We did. We made it fun. I'm just happy that things are somewhat back to normal. I mean, there's definitely a lot of recovery and construction and rebuilding that needs to be done through Griffin. But ultimately, I'm just happy that we're okay. Yeah, (laughs) that's really what matters to me. And I'm happy to be back doing this for like the third time. I've really missed it. Like it felt like forever that we went without recording. I was starting to get like anxiety about it. I think the most messed up thing that I saw, like, between the excursions going back and forth to your place, I saw a bulletin that had a tornado on it, and it was like, be prepared before disaster's on your doorstep. (laughs) And it's like, you see this bulletin board in the midst of all this damage, and you're just like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to Griffin, Georgia. I can't stand that shit. Well, we don't really have anything else to really discuss before I get started with today's story. I want to implement some trigger warnings because oh, Lord. today's case is very upsetting and there will be discussions of racial violence and rape. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're so, going way down for this one. Yeah, we are. It's it's definitely creepy. Um, We're talking... You know, hometown legend, which I love. But if you cannot hang with today's episode, please listen to something else. As we always say, go find a less traumatizing episode of ours that does not exist because all of our episodes are traumatizing. (laughs) So do with that what you will. But you guys' mental health is important to us, so, you know, just be gentle with yourself and take it in stride. Definitely, definitely. You you don't have to suffer here with us. So today, I'm bringing you in real close to tell you about the local legends, ghost stories, and the history behind the world's most dangerous man-made lake in our home state of Georgia, known as Lake Lanier. Dun, dun, dun. You remember when I covered Dyatlov Pass? Oh, Yeah. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's episode 25, and you should definitely check it out. You remember how they have a mountain that was aptly named Don't Go There? Oh, yeah. Well, Lake Lanier should definitely be named Don't Go There. (laughs) (laughs) And you will understand why by the end of the episode. There's a reason why those of us who live here will tell you, don't go to Lake Lanier. I'm going to spend a quick moment throwing some information your way so everyone gets a scope of the bigger picture. An audio tour, per se. Lake Sidney Lanier, named after a poet and Confederate soldier in the Civil War, gets its inflow of water from the Chattahoochee and Chesapeake rivers, and it outflows back into the Chattahoochee. This monster body of water is located in the foothills of northern Georgia, just an hour northeast of Atlanta. It's so massive, it borders four counties in Georgia, which are Hall County, Dawson County, Forsyth, and Gwinnett. This massive lake has 692 miles of shoreline, a surface area of 37,000 acres. It has a max depth of 156 feet, some people say around 160 or so. It has lush vegetation on the islands and surrounding areas, 
The water glistens a beautiful blue or blue-green in the summertime against sandy beaches. And it's equally as beautiful in the fall and wintertime. So beautiful, in fact. Lanier gets more than 10 million visitors at any given year. Lake Lanier is such a beautiful place. Truly, it is. You could look through the photos of the resorts, the weddings held there, the year-round recreational activities, the beauty of being out in nature on the water, but not one of those things will sway me to ever get back in those waters. Knowing what I know now and having my own experiences in that lake, I will never go back. You may ask, but Ray, if it's such a beautiful vacation spot, why wouldn't you go enjoy the view and have fun? (laughs) (laughs) because many believe myself included that lake lanier is not only haunted it's cursed the water at the top may be clear but the deeper you dive the visibility fades into murky waters that hide secrets of the past i may not have been georgia born and raised but i can tell you that i have gone my entire life living here and up to this point i had no clue about oscarville I've learned of this recently, and by recently, I mean that I'm just learning about this in the last five years, because thankfully, I came across the history being shared on social media, and I dove deeper. I just want to take a minute and say that I'm thankful for this platform we have to further pass on this information, because this story deserves recognition, and it's a travesty that this location is a recreational vacation spot and not a memorial. It's like saying, hey... Let's flood Auschwitz and make it a vacation spot, you know? Holy fucking shit. (laughs) Holy shit. I mean, seriously. Like, there should be more than just a sign, you know? And I'll get into that sign later. But there's only one sign talking about the past. There should be more. Yeah, I definitely can agree with that. You know, that's my own feelings. I can't speak for others. It's just sad that the history of Oscarville and the true history of the land is tainted... And the stories of these people who are brutalized and forced to abandon their homes in fear of being witch-hunted and murdered because you're not the right skin color, you know? It's fucking sickening. Ugh, I hate it. It's absolutely sickening. I don't think it should have been swept under the rug like that. Like, it didn't happen. Right. So, before we get into the curse and the alleged haunting of Lake Lanier, we must first explain the morbid history of the town that sits beneath it. The town of Oscarville. Our story begins in 1870. Oscarville was a small rural town. There goes that word again. Rural. Rural. But it was located in Cumming in Forsyth County, Georgia. The community was structured during the 1800s during the Reconstruction Era. And that was the period after the American Civil War that lasted from December 8th, 1863 to March 31st, 1877, during which the United States was dealing with the challenge of reintegrating the states that had been succeeded back into the Union. And a huge issue at that point in time was determining the legal status of black people. Basically, they were trying to figure out how to integrate millions of newly freed slaves back into social political, and labor systems within the United States. This is so, so sad to me. Yeah. Like, so sad. They're human beings, and you got to figure out how to reintegrate them? Like That's what I'm saying. It makes no fucking sense. But, y'all, but continue. Like, 
there's a whole tangent that I could go on here, but I'm just going to reserve that for another story and another time. But the majority in the demographic in Oscarville was primarily white conservatives. Oh, God, how terrifying. By 1910, more than 1,100 black people lived in the county, which had more than 10,000 white people. Oscarville had a thriving black community full of carpenters, blacksmiths, bricklayers, and farmers. They even owned successful businesses and land. Farming was the top trade there, and they were so successful, in fact, they were the first farmers to combat a boll weevil infestation that was killing all the crops. So their farms were flourishing while the rest of the farmers in the state were struggling. There were around 300 children who attended the school in Oscarville. So this was, you know, like I said, it was a very big, thriving community. On September 5th, 1912, five young black male farm laborers, Tony Howell, Isaiah Perkle, Fate Chester, Johnny Bates, and Joe Rogers were accused of sexually assaulting 22-year-old Ellen Grice. She stated that a black man climbed through her window and attempted to rape her. Not to, like, break off from the story or anything, but if you guys have missed our mascot, Archimedes, that's totally him <laughs> meowing in the background. I just heard him and it cracked me up. I just, I just wanted to point out that he's telling you all, hey... Right? He's asking you how you're doing and stuff. So, you know, I had to point that out. It cracked me up. I heard him. (laughs) But after the alleged attack, Sheriff Bill Reed and Deputy Gay Loomis arrested Tony and the other four men, believing them to be accomplices. As the news spread of the attack and the arrest made, Pastor Grant Smith caught wind of this and was like, immediately, no. Pastor Grant was a well-spoken and well-educated black man and well-known and respected preacher. He uttered the words, It's a shame that there was so much trouble over a sorry white woman's story. He believed that Ellen Grice was secretly bedding down with a black man and called it rape when she got caught. I believe that. It definitely... I mean, I believe that. I'm sorry. I mean, I was not there. It's hard to really say what we think exactly did or did not happen, but I don't know. I'm not beneath believing that, if I'm being honest. I can say that I agree with him. I mean, at the time, it wasn't like that would be the first ever case of this, you know? There were so many other cases in which white women would have affairs with black men in secret, and then when they would get caught, they would claim that it was rape all of a sudden. And the next thing you know, they're lynched or they're beaten or, you know. Some evil shit. Like, already this is just evil. Like, why can't love just be love? Why can't we just love whoever the fuck we want instead of having to put labels on everything? Like, we are all human. Jesus fucking Christ, we're all human. Right. Continue. I'm sorry. This is frustrating. But you also have to consider the time, you know. Still doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right. But, you know, back then it was a lot of Neanderthal thinking, a lot of ignorance, a lot of fear. So let's just keep that in mind going forward. But when he spoke and said that, he was around a lynch mob of white men. Oh, God. Needless to say, he became a target. The mob surrounded Smith as they began to whip him and beat him within an inch of his life while searching for wood to burn him alive. What the fuck? So he was actually surrounded by, like, 
a literal angry mob. Like you see people with yeah. like torches and pitchforks and shit. Oh my God. Sheriff Reed and Deputy Loomis made their way through the crowd and immediately transported him to the courthouse where he saw a doctor for his wounds. None were charged for the attack on Pastor Grant. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. What the fuck? I'm sorry. My, my heart, my stomach, my soul is in pain. <laughs> my soul is in pain. A rumor spread that the black community was angered by what happened to their preacher and were plotting a rebellion. And the white residents went into a hysteria. They began to carry weapons in preparation for a fight. The lynch mob grew until they had to send in soldiers from the Union to disperse them by order of Governor Joseph Mackey. Oh, my God. They also transported the accused out of town, and I lost track of them after that point, but in the end, they were released. I, I do know that much. Gotcha, gotcha. Pastor Grant was released sometime later. They kept Tony Howell a little bit longer. Allegedly, he confessed to the crime. Or he was forced to confess, yeah, I believe. Yeah, but there's, there's no direct evidence against him. Gotcha, gotcha. His trial was pushed back for several months until ultimately it was, you know... The charges were dropped. Yeah. Gotcha, okay. So, it's September 9th, 1912. May Crow, an 18-year-old white woman, lay in the woods near the Chattahoochee River. She was floating in and out of consciousness as she was severely beaten and raped. The following morning, she was found by a farmer who recognized who she was as he was approaching her seemingly lifeless, bruised, and bloody body. Jesus. He was out walking along this path in the woods just minding his business and found her. Some sources say that she was hit with a rock or something blunt so hard to the back of her head that it dislodged her eye from its socket. What? Yeah. Oh my god. God, that's like some hostile two shit. Ooh, we. It, it, it's a lot. It really is. To get hit so hard in the back of your head that your eyeball pops out. Jesus Christ. Uh, some sources say that both of her eyes were dislodged. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So she was taken to her home where she then lay in a coma for two weeks before ultimately succumbing to her injuries and passing away. Oh my god. Now around that time, allegedly there were only young black men living in that part of the county where she was found. So the blame was shifted to three young black men and one black woman in just one day after May's body was found. All so of this is fucked up. There is a sign here in Georgia that reads the following. Lynching in Forsyth County. On September 10th, 1912, a 24-year-old black man named Rob Edwards was lynched and hung in downtown Cumming. During this era, deep racial hostility burdened black people with presumptions of guilt, often resulting in accusations that were unfounded and unreliable. On September 10th, Mr. Edwards and two black teenagers were arrested on suspicion of involvement in the fatal assault of a young white woman named May Crow. White residents of Forsyth County responded to the arrests and accusations by forming a mob of at least 2,000 participants. Storming the jail, the mob found Mr. Edwards in his cell, 
brutally beat him with a crowbar and repeatedly shot him. The mob then dragged Mr. Edwards through the streets where his mutilated body was hung in the town square and left on display. Mr. Edwards' lynching and the subsequent mob violence terrorized the remaining 1,098 black residents of Forsyth County. They all fled in fear. The loss of black-owned property in order to flee arbitrary mob violence was common during this era, and Forsyth's black residents left behind their homes and farms to escape, taking with them only what they could carry. Forsyth County would remain essentially all-white until the 1990s. No one was held accountable for Mr. Edwards' lynching or the mass exodus of black residents that followed. Like all victims of racial terror lynchings, Rob Edwards died without due process of law. So that's the actual sign that's here. A, I want to cry. Like, that's the first thing. Like, I'm, I was actually on the verge of tears a little bit as you were reading that. That is some evil, evil shit. But it's also so crazy that we're talking about an area that as of right now, me and you are about half an hour from. Yeah. Like, I grew up outside of Forsyth County and Barnesville and Griffin and all through that area. And it just... Yeah, right now we're about 30, 45 minutes from Forsyth. It's crazy. Like, I grew up in these parts of Georgia and just... It's a lot. I don't really know how to explain it. It just... I'm a little taken back, you know? Yeah. The white mob overpowered the sheriff and dragged Rob Edwards from his 20 by 20 sized jail cell into the streets where they beat his head and body with crowbars, drug him behind a carriage through town. They shot him several times and lynched him from a telephone pole out front of what is currently now City Hall, hanging there for all to see. Oh my fucking God. The accused were 18-year-old Oscar Daniel, 22-year-old Jane Daniel, 24-year-old Rob Edwards, 16-year-old Ernest Knox, and Ed Collins were all arrested for suspicion of murder. I was unable to find any sources that included evidence or any other mentions of Ed Collins, how old he was and what his relation to, to the case or to the others. Um, I just wasn't able to find him. Okay. And the other accused of Ellen Grice's, I was unable to find their ages and, and certain other things like that because it happened so long ago. Gotcha, gotcha. But Ernest Knox was allegedly tied to the crime by a hair comb that was purchased at a store in Oscarville. And he and Oscar Daniel would later be sentenced to hanging in early October. It is estimated that between 5,000 and 6,000 people gathered to watch the execution. What in the fuck? Okay, like, this was a point that we made on our episode about medieval torture and execution. But if you remember in the middle of that, we were saying, like, or we were pointing out how fucked up it is, the barbaric nature of humans, that there's a whole... There's a whole area in human psyche where people want to see violent death and they want to watch this kind of thing. Like public executions were a really, really big thing in a lot of different cultures through, you know, most of history. Yeah. And it's just you look at that and you hear shit like this and it's like, what the fuck? Like, this is terrifying to me. It's more than barbaric. It was almost like a, a form of entertainment for them. That's what I'm saying. It's just like fucking Christ. 
Sorry for that random tangent, no, but like good. my you're brain. Good. I think very much that Ernest was an innocent child being linked to this crime because anyone could have bought a hair comb that looked the same at any time. And he only confessed to the crime because they did what was called a mock lynching. Are you familiar with that? I am not. So basically, you believe you're being lynched because you've been overpowered by a mob and a rope is being put around your neck. They're making you believe you're about to be hung to scare a confession out of you. So they force the confession, essentially. Yes. Again, so, absolutely fucking evil shit. So what 16-year-old wouldn't be scared shitless and willing to confess to anything to get out the situation they're in, right? Evil shit. This is fucking heartbreaking. Honestly, I don't think any of them were involved with May Crow's attack. I think this was very much a case of a young woman being found and identified. She was identified by someone who knew her. She wasn't taken to any type of medical facility. She was taken home. Her family and friends were affected by it and had vengeance on their mind. And these men were blamed because of their own perception of who they believed did it. And an angry or grieving mind is not a clear mind. And then you add deep-seated racism to that mix as well, and it just not a good image. Yeah, I was just going to say that, like, I think there was a level here lacking logical thinking because of their emotions. And you mix that with the hatred and ignorance of racism, and that becomes a very volatile situation. And to make matters worse, Jane Daniels accepted a plea bargain where she testified against her husband, Rob Edwards, her brother, Oscar Daniel, and her cousin, Ernest Knox, to avoid being killed herself. Her testimony sealed the fate of all three men. Oh my god. And why would she do that, you might ask? The poor woman was more than likely afraid that she was going to be killed if she didn't. Yeah, exactly. And that is heartbreaking. I my mean, god. We have to consider the time they lived in and the brutality against black people in that era. They knew exactly what the racist white people were capable of doing. Slavery, lynchings, public beatings, and other things that are just unimaginable. And they did these mock lynchings to scare people into talking. And that level of mind-targeted fuckery is only a small glimpse into the way black people were treated. And to this day, there is still fuckery and racism in the way black people are treated. Oh, well, and I'm Squidward, and I'm just here to tell you, fuck white supremacy. Right. Fuck white supremacy. We have no room for that shit here. <laughs> now, I told you what they did to Rob, but Oscar and Ernest were scheduled to hang the very next day. Oh, my God. Uh, they were charged with the rape and murder of May Crow. An estimate of 5,000 to 8,000 people came to watch the execution. Keep in mind, the population was 12,000 people. Oh my god. And 5,000 to 8,000 people came to watch their execution. So like over half of this entire community. Yeah. Oh my god. After the trials and executions, bands of white men known as the Night Riders from Cherokee and other nearby counties threatened and intimidated the black community. These families either fled or were killed and their properties were stolen from them. Those that left fled to Hall and Gwinnett counties. These poor people were woken up in the middle of the night by their homes, church, and businesses being burned to the ground. 
They went door-to-door harassing and assaulting black residents in Forsyth County to intimidate them into leaving within the next 24 hours. There was even a newspaper clipping I saw that headlined the phrase, and I hate this, quote, drive Negroes out. Oh my God. That's some sick shit. Evil shit. Evil's not even the word for it. This is, this is really hard. This next clip is a sample from 11 Alive News when they interviewed a man named George Rucker. George's great-grandfather, Burt Oliver, was a citizen of Oscarville. And him, along with his entire family, was forced off their own land. This is what George had to say about the incident. Night riders came through. They had to leave everything. The main thing they left was property. My grandfather had 100 acres. Rucker says many relatives died as they tried to flee. So when they got to the Chattahoochee River, from what I understand, they were told when the mob got up on the bridge, they were told that they either had to swim or drown. Most of them didn't make it. My grandfather, one of them that did make it, he lost some brothers and sisters. He says his relatives who survived settled in Gainesville. What my mother told me, buried all of them. He would sit and tell her this story, and uh, he would just sit and cry. That absolutely had me on the verge of tears. Yeah, it's bad. I could not imagine. I could not imagine. I could not imagine. I could not imagine. (laughs) That literally almost made me cry. This is absolutely heartbreaking. And I do agree with you when you say it needs to be shared. Because, like, I'm shocked that I didn't know about any of this. Like, going into this episode, I did not know about Oscarville. Really? At all. I really, truly did not. I'm not ashamed to admit when I don't know something. But I had no idea. And I was born here. I grew up right outside of Forsyth County again. Yeah. I'm shocked that I've never not once heard of any of this. It's sad. This is absolutely sad. So, to all of you listening... I'm on the uh, train of realization and suffering with you. (laughs) I I definitely am. We're in the front seat. We're in the front seat. Within the next four months, an estimated 98% of blacks living in the county had left due to the Knight Riders' threats. My God. White residents took over the town and claimed the land, home, and businesses from what the black community left behind. The Knight Riders next moved on to Dawson and Hall counties where they attempted to do the exact same thing, but they were finally stopped when 11 of them were arrested by the Hall County Sheriff. In the 1940s, as Atlanta was expanding, so was their need for water. In response, Mayor William B. Hartsfield set out to create the Buford Dam to help with this issue. The Chamber of Commerce backed this decision, and side note, it was $45 million to construct the dam. That's a chunk of change. And this is back in the 40s when the value of the dollar was way higher than what it is today. That is insane. Over the next two years, more than 250 to 700 families in Oscarville, as well as 15 businesses, were relocated. Allegedly, they were compensated for the move, but it was very little money and it wasn't enough to survive on. So they got cheated. Of course. Here's the chilling part. They moved over 20 cemeteries and the bodies. 
but some still remain buried somewhere under the reservoir. My God. Yeah. Yeah. And even some divers had said that they have come upon headstones being under the water. Oh my God. That would scare the shit out of me. So Lake Lanier was finally created in 1956 by the completion of the Beaufort Dam that was built by the United States Army Corps of Engineers. It's rumored that some men died trying to construct the dam as well. Lord! The Beaufort Dam is found on the southern end of Lake Lanier and was built to provide this hydroelectric power for the city of Atlanta and surrounding areas, as well as a preventative countermeasure to keep the Chattahoochee River from flooding. But once the water began to rise, the city of Oscarville, 50,000 acres of farmland, and its gruesome history was washed away. A woman's body discovered on the shore of Lake Lanier. Police are investigating two more deaths at Lake Lanier over the holiday weekend. A body pulled from Lake Lanier. A couple found dead on Lake Lanier. Rescue crews have now recovered the body. Missing swimmer out at Lake Lanier. The body was found at the shore of Lake Lanier. That really spooky collage of clips you just heard is actually a sample from the YouTube channel Daunting Tales. They put together a super awesome video about the history of Oscarville and Lake Lanier. I'll be including their video in the show notes if you'd like to check it out for yourself. But now we're going to discuss the creepy and somewhat supernatural aspect of this story. Dun, dun, dun. Spooky! Spooky! There have been 700 deaths in Lake Lanier since its creation in 1956, with some of the more deadly years claiming over 20 lives. Oh my god, that's a lot of death. A lot. That is like a lot. Like, if you think about it, 700 may not seem like a giant number, but you think about 700 individual people that have lost their lives in this lake that's a staggering amount it is that's actually quite a lot so because of these statistics lake lanier has earned its title as one of the deadliest lakes in the united states causes of death range from boating collisions drownings and freak accidents despite being a popular destination for boating fishing swimming drinking and long days in the georgia sun And according to local authorities, these frequent incidents are due to the lake's popularity with tourists. Local divers even report that they bumped into rogue body parts during lake excursions. Oh my god. I could not imagine swimming and an arm or a leg just bumps me. Yeah. I would be screaming. Screaming, pissing, puking. Freaking out. All the above. (laughs) All of the above, exactly. (laughs) So I watched a few dive videos and you can see the rubble of a town lost. Diving can be extremely dangerous depending where you are because there is literally a forested area where the trees under the water are 60 feet high. Oh my god. I've also included the dive video into the show notes, but... As you're watching this video, it goes from murky water down deeper, down deeper until it is pitch black. And the only thing that you can see is what is in the flashlight's ray. And it's like rubble and debris and... And trees and silt and yeah, it's a lot. A representative from Georgia Department of Natural Resources told Narcity in an interview... Lake Lanier gets more than 10 million visitors any given year. 
there are bound to be some incidents. We do our best to keep people safe, but not everyone follows the rules. During the summer of 2012, the stepson of rapper Usher died in a freak accident where a jet ski ran over him while he was inner tubing. Oh my god, I did not know that. You said Usher's mm-hmm. stepson? Yeah. Oh my god. Return the slab <laughs> or suffer my curse. That's like all I can think of right now. This is... Oh, wow. During that same summer, two Gwinnett County brothers were on a pontoon boat with other family members when another boater struck the pontoon and the boys were killed. The boater, who is now stripped of all rights to boat in Georgia, was eventually charged with homicide by vessel. His trial and verdict ended in an acquittal on that charge, and he was instead found guilty on lesser charges. The charges he was found guilty for included boating under the influence, reckless operation of a vessel, and a failure to render aid after hitting the pontoon, which is pretty much a hit and run. He was ordered to serve 30 months in prison and will also perform community service as part of his sentence. Unfortunately, no amount of punishment will ever replace the three young lives cut short, but it did end up creating a positive change. Two laws were enacted thanks to the grieving mothers of Kyle Glover and Jake and Griffin Prince. Both the Prince brothers' mom and Kyle's mom, who was previously married to Usher, began efforts to reform boating laws here in Georgia. These efforts resulted in the passage of the Jake and Griffin Prince BUI law and the Kyle Glover Boat Education Law enacted by the Georgia legislature and signed by former Governor Nathan Deal in 2013. The new boating laws changed several significant things, including lowering the blood alcohol level to 0.08, which is the same for operating a car, gotcha. from where it was was 0.10. So, like, if you were driving a boat and you were .10 intoxicated, it was fine. Yeah, until this law was enacted and then they were like, no, .08. Gotcha, gotcha. And now, kids under the age of 13 are required to wear life jackets whenever they are on a boat that is in motion, whether by motor, wind, or wave. When the boat isn't anchored, life jackets for kids under 13 are now mandatory. I'm now going to tell you the famous local story of the Lady of Lake Lanier. Ooh, the Lady of the Lake. Yeah. (laughs) Now, this is a very well-known story among fishermen who go to Lake Lanier to fish. Yeah, I grew up hearing stories of the Lady of the Lake. I've heard a few. But I found the actual story of how she came to be. Uh, get ready, everyone. A whole big bag of spook just entered the chat. <laughs> Here we go. Georgia's Jerry D. Jackson Bridge on State Route 53 is a 67-year-old relic from the first days of Lake Lanier when its waters weren't as monstrous. Some say the bridge is not the only remnant of forgotten time still looming over the old highway. In fact, they say, they are sure of it. 
1,200 feet of steel spanning the Chattahoochee River was not only subjected to decades of sweltering Georgia summers and bone-chilling wet winters, but also the paranormal. In 1958, just two years after the bridge opened, Delia Parker Young and Susie Roberts sped out of a gas station without paying en route to the nearby town of Dawsonville. They were two rebels on the run headed to the Three Gables Roadhouse, but they never made it home. Eighteen months later, a local fisherman spotted the decomposing body of a woman beneath Jerry D. Jackson Bridge. The bloated body floated on the lake's surface, missing two toes from her left foot while her arms floated outstretched from her body without hands. Appendages that perhaps fell victim to the digestive tracts of the Lake Lanier's catfish, some fishermen will tell you there are some catfish out there the size of a 10-year-old boy. Fuck that. So it's no surprise that the body couldn't be identified by coroners. However... Locals near Dawsonville were already convinced of her identity. The mysterious body had to be Delia Parker Young. They knew it was Delia, they said, because dozens of drivers on State Route 53 had seen her after she vanished, appearing as a ghostly, handless apparition walking down the highway in a blue dress. The ghost appeared to be lost, almost as if she was searching. But for what? No one could say. Years went by as Delia's legend grew into a local myth. Visiting the old bridge became a rite of passage at Dawsonville High School, as generations of young thrill seekers would purposely drive the bridge in search of the Lady of the Lake. Some returned to school the next day swearing they'd seen her. Others had not. The Lady of Lake Lanier has all the classic signs of a residual haunting. A phenomenon parapsychologists describe as an apparition that appears more like a recording of a previous entity than a intelligent one. So just doomed to repeat the same thing over and over and over again. Chilling. According to paranormal experts, residual hauntings are most often found at the location of a traumatic event where the energy of heightened emotions are fused to the fabric of time. Susie Roberts was forgotten, and the mysterious body found by a fisherman in 1959 now laid in an unmarked tomb. Years of wear and tear had finally caught up with the bridge, and as work began on renovations that would expand and refit the bridge, construction workers dredging the bottom of the lake made a chilling discovery. Filled with mud, half buried on the lake's bottom, they found the mangled 1954 Ford that Delia and Susie sped off in. Oh, fuck. The bones of Susie Roberts were still inside. Dental records soon verified Susie's identity and the discovery made national headlines. Finally, after 34 years, residents of Northeast Georgia had a definitive answer to their mystery. Susie Roberts and Delia Parker Young had run off the road of the Jerry D. Jackson Bridge and sunk to the bottom of Lake Lanier. The unmarked tomb was relabeled with Delia's name forever known as the Lady of Lake Lanier. Some say you can still find her wandering the back roads of State Route 53, 
slowly making her way from Dawsonville to the top of the old bridge. Besides this legend, some visitors to Lake Lanier have reported feeling someone grab their foot or feeling like an unseen force was trying to pull them under while swimming. Could it be the Lady of the Lake or a left-behind tortured soul of Oscarville? And that concludes the case of Lake Lanier and Oscarville. I don't like it. The vibe was not likable. There was not one singular point in that episode where the vibe was likable. You had so little to say. It was like I kept you speechless the whole time. I was so absorbed. Like, my God. Like, it's... uh, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, A, the history of Oscarville. I'm still pretty angry that I've gone my whole 27 years of life not knowing about it, considering that I grew up in and outside of this area, and I've been in Georgia literally my entire life. So right. that makes me sad. But then the the spooky stuff of Lake Lanier, I obviously knew about the Lady of the Lake. You know, yeah. I've grown up hearing stories of the Lady of the Lake, but I did not know, like, the origin story. Now, I used to go swimming up there in Lake Lanier, like, me and one of my exes took a boat out there with family. You are a brave bitch. <laughs> we were just jumping off the top of the boat into the water. Uh-uh. Like we were climbing up on top of the boat and jumping off into the water. No, and ma'am. I told him, like, I swore that something grabbed my foot, but I wasn't sure. I was like, well, maybe I just bumped into a fish or something. But ever since that one incident, I was like, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, you won't be finding me at fucking Lake Lanier. You won't be finding... If I want to go swimming, I have a bathtub that's safe. (laughs) I am not seeking, and you will not be seeking me. Exactly. Y'all are seeking of something, something that I am not seeking. That part. (laughs) So, I do want to say that the actual story of the Lady of the Lake, I got this off of a fishing tackle website where I guess they tell stories to each other. On there, like fisherman stories. Um, the author of that was Joe Sills, so that helped me quite a lot with my research into her story. Gotcha, gotcha. And um, I will also be linking this in the show notes as well. I just wanted to give credit where credit was due. So, gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it was. It was um, nothing like ghost stories on a fisherman website. I'm telling you, like, fish tackle and spirits. <laughs> Fish, tackle, spurk, and spurts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, we hope that you enjoyed slash maybe not really enjoyed our case this week. We're definitely happy to be back. You can expect our weekly uploads to resume from this point. Hopefully another tornado won't, like, fuck shit up again. L- listen, don't jinx it. Shut your, fuck- shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you said, whoops, I almost said fuck again yeah i've been trying to cut back a little bit you know a little bit of restraint helps yeah but yeah you guys if you would like to follow me and ray and all of our weird well we have great news for you you can totally do that find us on facebook at gore report a true crime podcast on instagram at gore report podcast and twitter at gore report 
And uh, yeah, this episode was really sad and really heartbreaking. I promise you won't find me on Lake Lanier. I'm already scared to death of catfish, but if I saw one bigger than a 10-year-old human child, I would scream until I pissed myself. Oh yeah, and fuck white supremacy. Bye! Bye. <laughs> I am afraid. You shot me. You me.